We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With US Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. US Bank credit cards are issued by US Bank National Association ND. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void were prohibited. To the Rotowire NBA podcast. It is Thursday, December 29th. Nick Whalen here with James Anderson. A lot has happened since the last time we've talked. We didn't record last week, uh, obviously with the holidays, um, but a ton has happened uh, in the past couple of weeks, both in college basketball uh, as it pertains to the NBA draft as well as in the NBA itself. Uh, we'll get to the college game later in the podcast, but we'll start uh, in the NBA. Last night, the game everybody was watching. You know, if you if you weren't watching this, I don't know what else you were possibly doing. Bucks at the Pistons, uh, huge huge win for Milwaukee, coming off of a loss in Washington on Monday. Bucks win one nineteen ninety four. Game was basically out of reach early in the fourth quarter. Um, standard performance you know, as far as what we're used to from Giannis, but the bigger story I think was was Jabari Parker. And uh, as someone who was able to watch most of this game. This was probably the best overall game I've seen Jabari Parker play. Um, there's a couple others, you know, most of, most of them coming this season that you could probably argue um, the Cavs game uh, a few weeks ago in, in, in Milwaukee when they went into overtime. Parker was great there, but nine rebounds, seven assists, 31 points, 13 of 18 shooting, four of seven from three uh, was Parker on the night. Um, I don't know how much of this you were able to catch, but I mean, seven assists, I think is what really stands out because Parker's a guy who's usually not, you know, topping two or three. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it speaks to how defenses have started to legitimately game plan for him Mm -hmm. to where he's drawing that kind of attention and then just setting up his teammates. He's really like made me like, I'm, I'm probably on record as being one of the biggest, uh, Jabari haters, I guess, if you Same will. Yeah. Uh, that is young. In the, you know, among among NBA insiders. And right. 
uh, I think Parker has really, over the past like two or three weeks, really started to make me second guess some of my. You know, I, I've long thought that we should the Bucks should be shopping him. Uh, I think that he's been uh, much more overvalued in in the, just the general NBA marketplace than he should be. And I think that there's there's got to be some deals out there that I would probably jump on. But the the past two or three weeks has really made me kind of second guess that right. he hasn't done anything to change my mind about what he is defensively. But he's become so good offensively that I think you could maybe live with it, especially when you have defensive forces like Giannis. Uh, above average defender and Chris Middleton as kind of the core around mm-hmm. him and supporting guys like Tony Snell that can and Delvadova that can kind of d up as well. So I think you, he's just so damn dominant. Like when it comes to attacking the rim, like it's no one else plays his style right now. Like it, yeah, it's he's added the three point shot, um, which that was kind of the biggest doubt for me was. You know, I, I still I like, still don't buy I, I still don't buy I mean, his thirty eight percent like I know that, I know the sample size is up there he's taking like almost a hundred threes I know I I'm just I don't think I'm gonna buy him being an above thirty five percent that's fine though like if he was at thirty five we'd be like yeah. this is great you right. know like I mean he's for the month of December I mean his December numbers are are unreal fifty four percent from the field forty percent from three twenty two point three points five point six rebounds two point six assists and a steal mm-hmm. I mean those are big, big-time numbers, and he's doing that as really the second option in, in the offense behind Giannis. So, yeah, I, I think the perception and how we look at this core for the Bucks, especially you and I, I think, has definitely shifted over the last two months, right? I mean, like, all of a sudden, you might take this combo over Towns and Wiggins. Like, that's a debate to have now, and I think at the beginning of the season, it was pretty obvious that you would have wanted Towns and Wiggins, and now, you know, there's there's a conversation to be had. Right. Like, I, I think I take the entire Minnesota core, especially mm-hmm. considering they're going to add a, a, lot, a high lottery pick, presumably this upcoming season, I'd take all of those pieces over all the Bucks pieces. But yeah, if you're just talking Giannis and Parker versus Towns and Wiggins, that's, that's a legit. Well, how thing. do you rank those four? Giannis, Towns, Parker, Wiggins? Oh, man. Um, I could go back and forth on how I'd rank Parker and Wiggins. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's fair, yeah. Giannis, I would take over Towns. Right, and that's something not that, something I would have said before the season. For sure. And part of that, I wouldn't say, you know, regression's not the right word with Towns. I think he's just, expectations were too high. He's been fine. And Giannis has certainly exceeded expectations. Right. We need to just, like, I, I really need to be better at not assuming like growth isn't always linear with mm-hmm. these young guys. Like that, I got into trouble with that with Anthony Davis two years ago, where I thought he was going to win the MVP. Uh, and like this year, I, I got into trouble with thinking the the Towns was going to lead this T Wolves team to the playoffs. Like, so it doesn't always happen like you expect it to. Like, right. so it's just it's one of those things where sometimes you have to maybe mm-hmm. take a step back to take a step forward. I uh, still love Towns plenty, but Giannis has really just shattered expectations that mm-hmm. I had for him coming into the year. Yeah, I mean, I think you can say the same thing about Clay Thompson. Everybody was thinking, you know, lock this guy in, scoring champ, it's going <laughs> to happen. So obvious, uh, and, you know, that doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, but, I mean, as far as Parker, like you said, defensively still has some issues. Did, did play well defensively last night. Um, but, I mean, like I was saying before, like I don't even know who to compare his game to in the modern NBA because he's so athletic, and and that's a big part of what he does. You know, just not needing to take an extra step or an extra dribble because, similar to Giannis, he can just kind of like just like zap to the rim from further out than most guys his size can, and his finishing ability with both hands um, has gotten much better. Both he and Giannis, I believe, in the, are in the top seven in the league in dunks, which mm-hmm. they they finished I think five and six last year, so not all that surprising. Uh, they're averaging like four and a half dunks per game between them. Um, but, you know, he is, he's improved as a three-point shooter, but I think he still he still does most of his damage off the bounce. He's more comfortable around the rim. He He's still not, like, great with the ball. Like, it doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. It's kind of his crossovers are kind of herky-jerky, but he's so good with that spin move, and he's kind of been able to spin into defenders and, and kind of clear space, and then all of a sudden the defender's, you know, taking a step back as Jabari's getting to the rim. 
he's going up and, and he's so athletic. He's, he's so quick to the rim and he gets right there. And it, you know, oftentimes it's not really contested. Yeah. He, a lot of the times the defense thinks that they have him bottled up or they've, they've sent enough help mm-hmm. into the paint that he's not going to possibly attempt to score on it. And then he just does like a really aggressive spin into right. it and somehow finishes. And he's not even getting the calls yet that he not should be all, getting. No. Like he, he attempted one free throw last night, and he was getting hacked pretty hard mm-hmm. on a pretty consistent basis. I mean, once once he starts getting the calls that he should be getting, then and you know who knows, he could be averaging twenty five, yeah. twenty six points a game. He he's so fun to watch too. I I think that was not something we necessarily saw all that often. Um, you know, in his first kind of season and a half with Milwaukee, there were some some moments that kind of made you cringe, but, you know, both him and Giannis, you know, kind of the, the lengths that they went to to avoid shooting jumpers. But just being a threat uh, has opened up so, so much for him. And all of a sudden, his ceiling just seems so much higher than it was even a month ago. So um, the thing is, the Bucks are still only 15 and 15. Like, they've gotten a ton of attention this year, uh, and rightfully so because of, of Parker and Giannis, but still 15 and 15. I mean, we were just talking about before the podcast in the East – you can basically go from five to like ten on any night based on who wins and loses. So like Milwaukee is as fun as they've been and as, you know, surprisingly, at least in in my opinion, better than I thought they would be without Chris Middleton, you know, they're they're still basically a game away from not being a playoff team. They just I mean, they only have one guy who's a true uh net positive and that's that's Giannis. I mean, there's you have guys who like like Delvadova to me is just kind of a you know even player like he 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 doesn't take anything away he doesn't really add anything uh Parker to me is maybe just slightly kind of you're you're getting maybe slightly a bit more than breaking even uh because he is that bad defensively mm-hmm. and then the rest of the players on that team I mean I guess you could maybe say Brogdon's kind of like a an even player I would say at this point in his career, but then like the rest of the players on the team are all probably net negatives yeah. when they're on the court. So it's, it's really tough to, you gotta, I mean, it's so hard to surround when you have a star like Giannis, like we saw, you know, Cleveland in the early LeBron days, it's so hard to sort of surround mm-hmm. a guy like that uh, with enough net, net right. positives to, to push you into the 50, yeah. 60 win strategy. I mean, Jabari is, would have been easily the best player or at least the best asset that LeBron would have ever played with in Cleveland right like I don't think there was ever a player who who was viewed as having that kind of potential um and I think the same goes for Larry Davis Hughes? well <laughs> you know not to take anything away from our close personal friend Larry Hughes um but I, I at that point in his career no <laughs> no I'm just gonna put that out there like all right, all right. I mean what, one of these times we should do a ranking of like <laughs> the 10 best teammates LeBron played with from 03 to 09. Oh, yeah. Like, good. is Ira Nubel on the list? Maybe. I mean. Like, Big Z is, like, top four. Delonte West's <laughs> clearly on the list. David Jones probably on the list. Uh, Mo Williams might be near the top of the Mo list. Mo Williams is probably number two. Shaq might be. <laughs> Ilgauskas is clearly on the list. Yes. Bergeau. Bergeau's clearly on it's the crazy. list. It's <laughs> crazy. Guys who, like, careers just basically disintegrated as soon as they left LeBron. Um, okay, what else do we have? Let's talk uh, Toronto. Let's keep it with the NBA before we get uh, to college basketball. The Raptors um, on – so you've listened to the, the latest Zach Lopod, You as you were talking about. Most people have probably listened Some to that by now. Um, basically, there was a, a hypothetical, you know, who can Toronto add to really make a difference and really, really challenge Cleveland. And one of the names that was brought up was uh, Paul Millsap. Well, they were just sort of talking about – can they add anyone right. that would, would move the needle? And they, you know, Paul Millsap is really the only guy that they sort of came up with that could. And I guess my argument is that they, like, people don't people don't really understand how, like, trades necessarily work. Like, you can't just look at this Raptors team and be like, well, who should they go add? Like, oh, <laughs> Paul Millsap. Like, well... What's that going to cost? Right. You're going to have to a trade Nagara. You're going to have to trade Norman Powell, and you're probably going to have to trade a future first. Uh, that, I don't even know if that would do it. That's the thing. Like, yeah. Like, what, yeah. Where's right. the market here? Like, right. if you can, if that's what it takes to get Paul Millsap, then right. there's like 30 teams that should be lining up to do it. Yeah. So, so, so even if you could somehow construct a trade where you're getting Paul Millsap, you're not giving up 
uh, Lowry, DeRozan, Valanciunas, or Pat Patterson, even if you can you can make that happen, uh, that team still loses to the Cavs and really as many games as the Cavs feel like it taking. Like right. maybe if they take a game or two off, it goes five or six. Could just be a sweep though. I don't uh, get well, like how would that trade? I just don't see like Atlanta hangs up the phone if you're like you're. The, what do you? What's the best thing you're you're offering there? Yeah, like Corey Joseph has to be included, and even he is like not. I mean, there are people I think that really like either one of you know Joseph Powell Nagara. Mm-hmm. I think that those are guys like with legitimate potential to be to be something, you know, in a year or two. Yeah, but it's not. What's the point of if that's if that's what you're getting for Paul Millsap and you're getting like a future first from a team sure. that theoretically is going to be in the playoffs for the foreseeable future? It just it, what's the point? I mean, you'd, you'd rather just trade Paul Millsap for you know any any number of packages that might right. be out there. Um, the pick to me is like if it's Toronto's pick, like you'd rather have just next year's Brooklyn pick yes. than that whole package. Oh, of course. So, and I think like. You know, if you call Boston and you say, hey, we're probably going to trade Millsap to the Raptors unless we get a better offer from you guys and your Boston, I mean, maybe you consider dangling that Brooklyn pick. But yes. Like, but so, you, anyways, like, the the point is, like, there's, in my opinion, there's nothing any of these teams below the Cavs can do other than just pray for an injury. Like, I don't know what move is p- potentially out there that's the that thing. puts any of them even to like the point where I would call it a twenty percent chance sure. they win a series, right? And you know if they could find if Toronto could find a way to get like Demarcus Cousins, then we could talk. But there's just nothing like how would they work that? You know, they're like I Millsap is a little more feasible, that. I guess. It's just maybe these guys that we're talking about are more highly valued, you know, by certain GMs, like like you said, but. You know that pick. If it's the Raptors' pick, what, that's like twenty seventh. Mm-hmm. You know, like who? Nobody wants that pick. Um, if you're gonna, if you're determined to trade Paul Millsap, like, wouldn't you rather flip him somewhere where you're? It looks like you'd at least get a lottery pick. Like, I just don't. I don't see any of those guys being all that valuable. Like, you know, you can include Patrick Patterson, but like he's, he's an older guy. You know, that you that's want where you get to the point where like they have like they have guys like the the Powells, Nogueras, Josephs. These aren't guys that are going to net you a guy like Paul Millsap, but they're guys who are going to keep you in that top three or four Mm -hmm. seed discussion in the Eastern Conference for the foreseeable future. And there's no real shame in being the team that loses to the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals every year. Like, that's, you know, you you can't mortgage everything to move your odds of beating the Cavs from, like, 5% to 9%, you know? Like, it's just you have to just kind of be realistic about the fact that look like we're an extremely successful NBA franchise right now like that's that there's something to be said for that yeah no i i i completely agree with that um i i think i mean hypothetically like an addition like Millsap, it makes you feel better about the raptors of course but yeah like you said i, I mean you, you it doesn't make it a 50-50 series by any means um is this kind of like? I mean, do they think they can win it with this core of Lowry and DeRozan, or well, are they they're kind of in this the, weird spot? I think the argument is like this is as good of this is as good as Lowry and DeRozan are ever going right. to be. So, like, if you wanted to go all in, this is the year to go all in. It's just not a scenario where you mm-hmm. can go all in without like if, whatever trade you do for Millsap, you're also taking away key rotation players in that trade yeah you're just not you're just not helping yourself to the point where i think it's worth it and i well lowry's expiring after this year so i guess you could make the case that it's like all right it's either this year like we're rebuilding after this year no matter what and like he's gonna re- re-up with them like they're gonna offer he's, him the max he's yeah. gonna take the max like that's should that's they how this is gonna go i think they're gonna like, like do they want him under contract until he's like 35 36 i just don't see what the the alternative is you let him walk yeah and then you're just you rebuild or I don't think – I just don't see why that would be preferable to keeping him and continuing this run of being yeah. really, really good. Like, they're just not a team – the odds of this team going from what they are now and then going to a full-scale rebuild and then becoming a better version of what they are now to me is just so 
far off like that. Yes. You just this is as good as things are probably going to get, and you should just kind of be. I 100% agree with you, but I don't think that's how GMs. But Masai Ujiri is not your typical like he's not a guy that takes risks really. Right. Like he's a guy that like what when was the last time he made a move that was like whoa like that's crazy. Yeah, I don't know. He wasn't there when Rudy Gay was brought in, right? He was the guy that immediately traded yeah. Rudy Gay to the Kings. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, but that was like, whoa, was a, in a good a, way. That was like a nice. <laughs> like, Kings, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. I, I just think, like, at some point, don't you want to, like, if you realize, like, this is our ceiling. It's like the Clippers, you know? Like, the Clippers have had ton, so many years of bad basketball, and, like, you still hear the argument of, like, blow if, it up. We're not getting past this. Like, I think it's so easy, though, if you're, like, a fan or just – watching and you'd have no no skin in the game it's so easy to say well you're not going to win with this core like what what are you doing like you're, you're clearly not going to win blow it up but like if you're actually in that front office and you are living and dying with each win like and you're you've got really good job security you're going to the postseason every year you're selling a ton of tickets uh, via that uh, your fans are attending the games they're happy they have a team that's going to win 50 plus games every year like that's a place where a lot of NBA teams would love to be, like, in, if you're working in the front office. So, like, you, if you have that, you don't just give it away, like, at the on that complete outside shot that somehow you, right. you pull a Sixers. Look, and folks, I'm, <laughs> I agree with you. I'm just saying I think it's yeah. tough to sell that. Like, we I know our ceiling. We're just going to keep hitting the ceiling. You don't like, say that, but that's well, what well, it yeah, is. Well, yeah, but it's what it's, it's, what it's implying. Um, okay, let's look at the West real quick. Uh Basically, teams you know after the Grizzlies in the West, so they're sitting in seventh right now, twenty and fourteen. Things get pretty gross pretty quick. The Sacramento Kings, if the season ended today, uh, them and their negative two point four uh, simple rating would be in the playoffs as the eight, um, playing Golden State in round one. Could you know possibly a a Mavs Warriors situation there? Um, <laughs> and I am completely kidding. Denver is right there, also at 14 and 18, tied to Sacramento. You got Portland, who's just been in a complete free fall. And New Orleans hanging around 13 and 21, uh, very much in the picture for that eight. There's still a big gap between seven and eight. Memphis, you know, still at 20 and 14 with all these injuries. You'd think that's sustainable, uh, and they could even get better if they're able to stay healthy. Um, I mean, look, all those teams are in it. Yeah, like, Every, all the way the down to the Suns. Yeah. yeah, everybody's in like, it. So I mean, basically, there's a there are like four teams right now who look like they're really in it for the eight: Sacramento, mm-hmm. Denver, Portland, New Orleans, and then the Lakers, the T Wolves, the Suns, and the Mavs are all very much within striking distance. The Mavs are in last place. They're the the third worst team in the NBA. They're the worst team in the West, and they're only five games out of the eight seed. And they have by far the best coach of that bunch. They have uh, the most. It, the, the organization with the most recent success of that bunch. Uh, I wouldn't count them out. I wouldn't count, you know, maybe the T-Wolves. The I mean, they have enough talent, obviously. I mean, they have as much talent as any of these teams. If they, uh, as the season kind of goes on, if, if they start to buy in a bit more on the defensive end, you know, I think I, th- I, I don't see the Lakers really having a shot here. I think this is a team that is – just really still kind of developing pieces, definitely wants to be picking in that lottery. Mm-hmm. Ditto with the Suns. The Pelicans, I think, would like to make the playoffs. Uh, Ideally, yeah. I think that they're a team that would love to to get that eight seed. Uh, the Kings would really, really, really like to get blown out in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, the Nuggets, I think, would probably prefer to be picking in the lottery. I mean, I it, they'll they'll just kind of... Whatever happens, they're just kind of doing whatever. The Blazers, though, are the most interesting team, though, because yeah. so you're you're a team that probably entered the year. I think they probably thought they'd be kind of right where the Thunder are right now, as that sort of four five seed, you know, challenging. You right. know, maybe maybe you get you win a playoff series. I think they thought they'd be as good, if not better, than the Rockets. And right, the Rockets are better than we expected, but and I, and now it's it's clear like. No, it, like this mm-hmm. core is behind the cores of those other teams. I mean, it's even behind a team like the Jazz, who's 19 and 13 and has been just riddled with injuries to their key players and is probably quite a bit better than that record suggests. So 
if you're and and like just Russell Westbrook alone makes the Thunder a better team than the Blazers. So if you're, you know, at best, like say the the Grizzlies, you know, injuries catch injuries and age catch up with them. You know, if you're at best like the seventh best team in this conference, like what are you really doing? Like, right. So what yes. is what do you think they should do? Mm. Like, do you start shopping McCollum? You got to do something. I mean, they've lost ten out of twelve. That, like, this isn't just like a. Oh, you know, Lillard was hurt, and they went through a rough patch. Like, no, it's been a complete like downturn, and it's been a disaster. And like, they were never that good before they hit the. You know, they basically were a 500 team, and then they have lost 10 to 12. So things are not good. I, it's hard because like the numbers are fine for McCollum, the numbers are fine for Lillard. So like, you don't look at one of them and say like, you know, this guy is drastically underperforming, I mean, but it's just Aminu, not working. Did the Aminu injury hurt him that much? Like, did the kind Evan Turner signing like hurt him that much? I think the the like, Evan Turner signing is something like. <laughs> They don't have a rim protector, right? Like, Festus uh-huh. Azili being injured is maybe bigger than it should be or seemed like it would be. And the, I don't think he's going to play this year. Mm-hmm. Um, they're really an, an intriguing spot for Nerlens Noel, I think, uh, if Philly, you know, decides to deal him at some point or release him from his whatever prison yeah, he's in. I don't want to talk about yeah. Nerlens Noel. Um, okay. <laughs> I mean, he's just <laughs> – it's just he's he's such an overrated asset in my mind, and I think – Every team in the league is just basically offering the the Sixers like the equivalent the equivalent thing of like a you know second round pick plus right. like this crappy player you know like they, they're not getting legit offers on him at all. I don't think the Blazers are dumb enough to to up. Should the they price sign Larry there. Sanders? Well, what do you think about a McCollum Whiteside trade? Hmm. That's interesting. We still don't know if Whiteside's actually good, right? Like, we know he's, like, really good at... Uh, like, I think I know exactly what Whiteside is. He's a guy whose defensive numbers make him seem quite a bit better than yeah, he Yeah, I, I, I mean, he's an asset for sure. Like, he's not mm-hmm. a bad player by right. any means. But, like, we still don't know if he, like, actually wins you games. Um, but if you're the Blazers, like, you're in desperation mode at this point. The nice thing is, like, these other teams that we're talking about have been basically just as bad. So, like... You're not like you can lose ten to twelve and still be right in the thick of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's interesting. Does like, do you call the magic about Serge Ibaka? I I think so. Yeah, like, I think he I, can't be all that pricey to obtain right now. As an expiring, you wouldn't think. Um, but, but like, yeah, I guess it, are you all that dead set on trying to get the seventh seed? Like, I think maybe. I, I think you're. I think if you're Portland, you're not exactly embracing a rebuild. Although. No. But this is they, such a good. They're not bad enough to like really. You it's know, such pick a good a, draft though, too. That like, I know you would love to maybe just get that lottery pick and then see what you have as right. the dust settles in the off season. Maybe then you kind of the good team adding another player is interesting. Yeah, I mean, do you ha- do you have to trade one of Lillard and McCollum? It's not going to be Lillard. So basically, is McCollum the guy, or do you try to work a trade with all these other pieces, you know, Harkless, Aminu, Davis, et cetera? I let it be known to certain teams that, like, will listen on McCollum, but right. you're going to have to really wow us. Like, I don't think that that tandem defensively is ever going to be good enough for them to compete for a title or even – really finishing the top mm-hmm. three in that conference, but you just can't sell low on him. Like you can't look at your year this year and be like, all right, we got to move him. Like you, you just let it be known. Like, Hey, we'll, we'll listen if you come and like really offer us a ton for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just too good to not get at least, you know, a dollar for a dollar. Okay. What if you try to make something uh, around, McCollum for DeMarcus Cousins. <laughs> I don't know that the Kings would be getting a better, more established player. They've this would finally fill the two guard void that they've been mm-hmm. missing basically since Peja. So the I'm very much on record, I think, on this podcast of being kind of on the low end on, on DeMarcus Cousins just as a NBA asset. Like I just don't think I think he's so far away from being a winning player that it's awfully risky to uh, kind of mortgage your franchise in obtaining him. But I think the Blazers are really, really in that sweet spot where 
look, they're not really going anywhere with this core. Like, like they're not even at where the Raptors are no. or anywhere close to getting to where the Raptors are, where they're just a, a steady 55-win team for the foreseeable future. To me, I, I actually think I'd probably roll the dice there because, you know, if it if it fails miserably, like – Look, your your fans have dealt with the Greg Oden thing. They've dealt yep. with the Sam Bowie thing. Like the conditioned, like this. Brandon Roy, yeah, like Ruben it, Patterson. It's the the idea of of maybe whatever it is, like a ten, fifteen, twenty percent chance that Cousins figures it out. Then you're talking about having, you know, a top five player in the league in Cousins, another top twenty player in the league in Lillard, and then all of a sudden you're a Western Conference yeah. title. Threat. Like I don't know how that tandem fits together, like on paper, not well. But like the talent level there is so high that you just kind of I think have to try it. Um, and again, like who knows if that's on the table? But like theoretically, you could build a package of McCollum, your own 2017 first rounder, and then the Cavs owe a first rounder in 2018. So you mm-hmm. you wouldn't necessarily have to give up too many of your picks. Obviously, that Cavs pick is probably yeah. You, know, you, you, you throw them. You know, you throw him Jake Lehman, you know. Sure, right. A, you know, five-star blue like chipper that. like Jay Lehman. Stud prospect. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it could be done. And you have the fillers, you know. And I think if the Kings aren't absolutely mortified of the idea of giving Marcus Cousins $200 million, then they really, really should be. Uh, I don't know if they are, though. Like, they yeah, might not I, be. At, they might be just like, oh, tough. sweet, we get to keep Cousins forever. Well, right, it's tough to, get, tough to get a read on those guys. <laughs> like, but, I mean, they should be absolutely terrified of that. And the idea mm-hmm. to get a guy like McCollum, who's basically the exact opposite of Cousins in terms of intangibles. Yes. And then you just get to fully rebuild. I think Kings fans would be on board with this because it gives you – you go from being sort of that – laughing stock team with a malcontent star player who has never won you anything to all of a sudden having you know a semi-interesting young nucleus you're going to be picking high in the draft again uh you have a a team of guys that are, are easy to root for at, at right. that point malik, so. i mean malik monk cj mccollum combo at shooting guard wow uh yeah i would feel bad for cj mccollum um yes you know, in that situation <laughs> but you know, it is what it is. I'd feel bad for Terry Stotts and CJ McCollum. Yeah, Those there's a lot of people, people to feel, feel bad, bad for, for when the Kings are involved. Um, all right, let's talk let's talk Josh Jackson. He's pretty good. We haven't given him uh, a ton of attention on this pod. It's been about 80% Luke Kennard and Lonzo Ball, 10% mm-hmm. TJ Leaf, who we'll get yes. to. Uh, so we're, we're going to talk Josh Jackson. I know you like him a lot. Um, I mean, yes. right now he's yes, kind of locked into the top three. It seems like, and we, like we said, we just haven't talked to him that talked about him that much. Like most years, this guy would be getting the Wiggins treatment. Where if you're watching Sports Center, you know, there's a couple lead stories, and then they would just show 30 seconds of a Kansas game, which is basically a couple Andrew mm-hmm. Wiggins, you know, shots. Like there's been there's so many talented freshmen, and it's such a it's such a big year. I feel like for college basketball, as far as star power that Jackson's somehow been overshadowed. I mean, this is the guy that came in with the best pedigree. Um, you know, in terms of recruit rankings and being on a good team, you know, the ball's not in his hands quite so much. But uh, I, I've been impressed with, with what I've seen from Josh Jackson. He's been in double figures every game since his first game, uh, which was that loss to Indiana. 21 points um, at UNLV last Thursday before Christmas. Um, I mean, he's he looks like the real deal uh, as far as, you know, he's, he gets the Wiggins comparison, similar size, similar skill set, um, big-time athlete. But what's impressed me most is he's a really, really skilled passer. I went back and watched uh, tape of his game against, I think it was Nebraska this morning, and they were putting a zone on Kansas for at times in that game, and they were running Josh Jackson as the, the middleman in that zone, just kind of going, you know, elbow to elbow, block up to the elbow, and you know catching and and either making a move or making the right pass and that's not often that you you see a freshman let alone a guy who's classified as a guard you know Mm -hmm. playing in that role yeah it's it's really really impressive he you know I almost wonder if Bill Self told him like hey if you want to be the number one pick show that you can pass show that you can be a playmaker from that kind of point forward spot mm-hmm. that they have him in and and he's embraced that role he he talks about it and 
post-game interviews, like just playing team basketball, playing winning basketball. He's always – not only is he willing to pass, but he, he makes that quick snap pass where he'll he'll catch it in the lane or catch it at the the top of the, the post area and just quick swing it to the open guy in the corner. Uh, he really, to me, if, if you want to compare him and Wiggins – the one area of their games where I would give Wiggins the edge at this stage is the the shooting stroke. Like yeah. I, I always, you know, Wiggins, you know, the numbers weren't always pretty, but you could tell just by the way he shot that he was going to be a good shooter in the NBA. Uh, Josh Jackson, uh, the numbers are are not pretty really at all. I mean, twenty six point nine percent from three, but. That's the only area where I give Wiggins the edge at this stage. Uh, passing, like, the, the two areas where you're always like, come on, Wiggins, like, how come you aren't better at this? Right. Uh, passing and defense. Josh Jackson, obviously, much better passer. Rare to have a, a wing that, that's that athletic, that gifted, be uh, such a willing passer. And then defensively, like, he has – he he'll do, like, the LeBron, like, chase down block. Mm-hmm. He is extremely active in, in passing lanes. Uh, just very engaged on, on that side of the ball, which is another kind of rarity, especially in college. Like, you, you maybe see these guys and you say, well, you know, if they can buy in defensively, like, they'll, they'll be something at yeah. the next level. But he's already buying in in college, which is rare for a guy with his pedigree. Uh, I just he's, – he's really – he's a, a quality three-point shot away from being a almost locked to be an NBA superstar. And mm-hmm. I think that he – I think he probably gets there. I mean, just it's rare for a guy that's got all those other pieces athletically to not develop that mm-hmm. three-point shot. Yeah, what's the comp for him? Uh, I, I honestly don't think like in the Kansas one and Wiggins feels lazy, but like he's not. I think that's not that far off. Um, you, you hear T Mac. Um, I don't. I'm not old enough to remember like what rookie T Mac was like, but I mean T Mac was so heavily reliant on the jumper that you know Jackson, Josh Jackson doesn't have that right now. Um, but again, not hard to see him developing that. I don't like, really have a comp for him, honestly. He's just so he's unique. He's unique as hell. Like he he's is. just so damn athletic. Like some of his dunks. Like, did you see that that one handed alley oop? Yeah. Like with the left hand. Like that was like a cockback too. Yeah, I mean, it's one like, thing to like to kind of catch one in in motion and finish, but like to yeah. catch it and basically palm it without touching it with your other hand, bring it back all yeah. in midair. Um, just a, a real treat to watch. And, like, I, you know, I think still I think uh, Markel Fultz is the most people's number one pick. I mean, mm-hmm. we've had Josh Jackson at number one for a while. It, I just think you factor in the position and the defense, and that's where I give Jackson the edge. Like, we're going to – we're in an era of point guards in the league mm-hmm. right now where for me to take a point guard over a wing with this much two-way pre- uh, potential – like you'd almost have to be like yeah. a lock to be kind of a, a Russell Westbrook type of player, and I don't I don't think you can put that on Fultz. So, no. uh, going to be interesting. I mean, I think Fultz is good enough to where we're not gonna. There might not be any separation here um, until till draft day. Honestly, yeah. I think it, I think it is going to come down to those two, though. Right, and and honestly, like some team might get. Josh Jackson at like three and I mean that's a you could be getting a transcendent player who goes one in 90 percent of drafts um I mean I think he's somewhere between like Kawhi and Justice Winslow if that makes sense he's like Winslow's a really good playmaker I don't think he ever really Mm -hmm. got enough credit for that Josh Jackson is taller than Justice Winslow he's not quite as physically strong right now he's not he's not the freak defensively that Kawhi was and is um, but it's not hard to see him like filling out his body in a Kawhi like way. The thing is, he doesn't have like the Kawhi hands or the what seven four wingspan or whatever Kawhi has. Yeah, uh, the the big problem for me is with all these comparisons. Like, it's just tough to find that guy who is that good of a passer and that good of an athlete and that with that frame. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, LeBron is. I'm trying to think of like who else is like that size. Yeah, and like LeBron, passer. you know, like, it's you're, tough. Yeah, it's you're definitely LeBron. not throwing that comp there. But like, <clears throat> like I see some Sean Marion with with Josh Jackson. Uh, but the, the the passing skill, like I had him, I had him and Fultz kind of neck and neck before he really proved himself to be this good of a passer. And 
I just don't know how you could have ever expected that from a guy like that to be this willing and this good of a, a passer. Like get that position. It's just so rare. Mm-hmm. Um, so you like Josh Jackson ahead of Jason Tatum. How close are those two kind of the premier wings in this draft? Well, I, I, my updated top 10, I have Tatum five. So obviously not super close. I, the the more interesting conversation to me is Jonathan Isaac versus Jason Tatum. Uh, I have Isaac at four and Tatum at five. Tatum. Uh, Tatum is just so one-dimensional to me right now. I just don't – it's hard for me to put a guy like that over um, – look, I mean, if you want to play it safe, it's Tatum all day because you know for a fact, like, Tatum is going to be – He's basically going to have like a Paul Pierce type of career. Right. Like I think in the average scenario is that type of career. He's just so, so smooth. It's, it's um, really unbelievable how skilled he is. But I just don't see him making a difference defensively. I don't see him necessarily making his teammates better. So if you can see enough growth from Isaac this year, I I'd, I'd still see him as having the higher ceiling. Mm-hmm. I think uh, Fultz and – Frank Nicklina both have higher two-way ceilings than than Tatum. Tatum's that like Tatum is probably the case in point as to how good this draft class is that he that I have him ranked fifth. Right. To me, he's like the Ingram slash Jabari Parker of most drafts, where like he's not. I wouldn't say he's a lock to be the number one guy in most years, but like he's a lock to be in the conversation at number one almost any year. Like I think a typical year. You would have, like, a Tatum quality guy, an Alonzo Ball quality guy, and then a fairly big drop off, and right. then like you maybe have like uh, Laurie Markkinen as like yeah. the third best guy. Like Markkinen like, might be like, oh, do you take him at four? Like, I mean, now it's like Markkinen at eleven feels right. It's just, it's just, it's we crazy. keep saying this over and over, but it really is. Like Darren Fox is like a prototypical like number three pick. Yeah, like, like he's just like your classic kind of right you know what you're getting take him at three all day type of pick. like th- i mean think about a guy like like marcus smart who was like a good college player he was, he was a sophomore so he didn't even come he wasn't like all that good as a freshman he came out after his sophomore year he had he had some character concerns he punched a fan uh, people, people forget about that he was never really a great shooter he was yeah. you know it was questions about like what is he at the nba level and he goes six overall like marcus smart in this draft is like early Bo- 20s borderline yeah he'd like really have to play his way into the yeah. top 20. Right, and it felt like at six that, you know, that was a fine pick by Boston. And that's just, I mean, it's just, again, it speaks to the depth uh, in this draft. Like, even like Noah Vonley, like, where did he go in that draft? Oh, like, God. Somebody like that. Like, He's like a, <laughs> he, the Spurs get Vonley. Right, yeah, like. exactly. It's just crazy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, is there anyone else in the top 10, 15 that you want to kind of highlight while we're on this? Well, I I wrote about TJ Leaf this week. Mm-hmm. Uh Basically, I just wanted to kind of right some wrongs. Uh, the, <laughs> my mock draft that I came out with, uh, we talked about it on, on the last pod. Uh, as soon as we potted, like, I was like, well, God, Miles Bridges should just not be in here. He doesn't, yeah. doesn't belong in here. It was a big mistake on my part to put him in here. And then you were kind of like, well, who, who would you put in there? And just sort of off the top of my head at that point, I was like, well, TJ Leaf, maybe. Uh you know, for him to be doing what he's doing offensively at this age is, is pretty impressive. And then you kind of dig in a little bit more and, and look at some tape. I'm really not sure what he can't do, uh, especially offensively. I think he's he's definitely going to be a guy who's a better offensive player than defensive player. That's kind of goes with the territory when you're talking about 6'10", white power forwards. Uh, but what like what would you say is his biggest weakness offensively and like what is he not well above average at at this point yeah I I think he's maybe uh, I don't know I'm looking at the numbers right now I was gonna say like he might be slightly overrated as a shooter but like his shooting numbers are pretty good um if anything he like I guess he needs to bulk up but but that's the criticism Mm -hmm. of like 90 percent of college players so no, I think that kind of speaks to how he good he's been. Strong. Like he plays strong. He plays really strong. Like he, he's just he one of those guys that in that game and Adebayo's yeah. like the probably the most impressive physical specimen right. in this class. 
No, I, I agree. I think whether you're playing in the NBA, whether you're playing in the Pac-12, whether you're playing pickup at the rec center, like he's just a guy you want on your team. Mm-hmm. Like he's not selfish. Like he'll take 17 shots in a game, like, like he did a, a couple weeks ago. But they're all good shots. Like he's never commanding the ball. He's he just makes the right play uh, on the offensive end. It seems like every time. He's an incredibly good passer. Uh, it's not. You're rarely going to see like a power forward who makes spectacular passes, and he doesn't really do that that often. But they're always just precise, uh, on point, quick, and he does it out of the high post, which is which is really uh, valuable, and that's that's part of the reason mm-hmm. why UCLA's offense is so good. The three point shooting obviously is is well way off the charts. I compared him to. Uh, what Kevin Love did through his first 13 games in college in the article. And <clears throat> he has the ed- – like, so Kevin Love, obviously, the team was playing at, at a much slower pace slower pace back then. Uh, the Ben Howland kind of grinded out type of offense mm-hmm. that drove everyone crazy. So hard to kind of compare their numbers. Uh, that, you know, one-to-one. But Love, obviously, a better rebounder. Love was a lot better at getting to the line. And really, everything else is a mark in Leaf's favor. Uh, the d- defensively, he's he's a better defender than Love. I think that that's pretty clear. He's a better athlete than Love. Uh, like we we were talking, like he's he's not just like ooh deceptively good athlete because he's this like white guy, so you don't think he's mm-hmm. going to be a good athlete at all. Like he's a legit, legitimately a very NBA good athlete. quality athlete. Like yes. that's, that's that's not a, that's not a uh, an issue at no, all for no. him. And uh, I think like. Love used to get a ton of credit for his uh, outlet passes. Mm-hmm. Like that was always kind of the big thing with him. Um, right. But I think in the half court, Leaf's a better passer than Love at this point in his career. So it's really, really interesting. Um, Weight wise, like you said, he's he's two hundred twenty pounds. Uh, Love was two hundred fifty five pounds. They're very similar in terms of height, wingspan, all that stuff. But I think. In a couple of years, you're going to see those two be kind of within 10 pounds of each other once right. Leaf adds a little weight. Yeah. Uh, to me, he's – I struggled at where to sort of put him. I think he's he's in the lottery for sure for me. Um, like, where, who he's would you – He's so safe, I feel like. How, who would you take out of, out of Leaf and Darren Fox? I am not all that high on Fox. Um, I, I mean, you're not going to find anywhere where Leaf is ranked ahead of Fox. I put Leaf ahead of Malik Monk, which is well, obviously way out of line in, in some circles. But um, right. So obviously, I like him more in Fox. But um, I just think he's like when you when we'll look back in five years at this 2017 draft and like you know do a redraft. Like, there's just no way to me that Leaf isn't in the top ten. You know, he mm-hmm. he just seems like this like arguably the safest guy. He's such a winner. Like right. like. Whatever team he goes to, like he can be a starting player on a chi- on a title winner, and yeah. that's like that sort of seems like his destiny, kind of. And I don't know who else on this. Right, we've had a hard time comping him. You know, like I, I, he's not Shane Battier by any means. They're not similar mm-hmm. players, but like I could see him like being that type of guy mm-hmm. where like maybe he never makes more than like one All Star team, but he's just always gonna have like there's always gonna be. 28 teams that want this guy or even like <clears throat> like prime luke walton like i mean like he's he's not i think leaf's gonna be better than that but like in his prime luke walton on the lakers like was a, a big part of that success because he's he's just that guy that you pencil into your starting lineup and you don't have to run any plays for him like you can run the ball through him if you want like he's gonna give you mm-hmm. um just a really steady steady contributions uh yeah, yeah. It's just hard to find a comp. I want. I, there's got to be something out there. I, it's so. I don't need a. I don't really need comp. Like this. This class is just. It's so absurd that I, I'm fine not finding a comp on some of these guys because mm-hmm. they're just so. Like we're talking about, just a crazy influx of. of I think John Luer is not. He's a better version of John Luer. <laughs> John Luer's pretty good. I think people don't realize how good John Luer is, and that's like I don't mean that as like a knock on leave. He's such yeah. a better. Lure such was a better awesome athlete. in college. Like, yeah. he, he's like, he moves so much better than Lure to me. Uh, I once saw the, John Lure throw down a, a behind the back dunk. So, I, I'm not talking, yeah, I'm not talking about so. like hops. <laughs> like, I'm talking about like 
just lateral. Yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. he just moves really gracefully. I, I actually compared his movements to Andrew Wiggins, like where there's just there's no wasted motion. Mm-hmm. He's explosive when he needs to be. He's never out of control. Like he uses when his he, body well. Yeah, like when you see him, like he's so chill out there mm-hmm. most of the time, but then he'll go crash and get a board and like right. put it back up. Like he's not. That whole UCLA team is like just chill and, at all times. Yeah, They're and fun he's, to watch for a for a white guy like that who who gets that many rebounds to just never even come close to getting labeled as scrappy. <laughs> right. Kind of kind of speaks a to his talent. Yeah, exactly. Like no, he's for too sure. good to ever be labeled like that. Yeah, I think he's a guy that as UCLA plays more and more games, not against the University of Portland at 10:30 p.m., uh, more people will get to see. Um, okay, so. We talked about Tatum. We talked about Jackson. Let's just talk about Malik Monk real quick because I don't think we've talked since the game. The game. I think we recorded our last podcast like the day after or the day before, I mean, uh, that that happened or a couple days before. Yeah, you were, you were telling me that some experts after that game were saying that he has to go number one. Yeah, some, <laughs> uh, some people, some insiders <laughs> uh, had, had put him up to number one on the board. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're jo- we're joking, and that's a huge overstatement. But like forty-seven points, the way he did it in hitting huge shots against North Carolina—I mean, that was an unbelievable performance. Does it change? Does that single game change at all how you view Malik Monk as a prospect? Honestly, like not really at all. Uh, I guess the only part of it that that changes anything is that it's like, oh, like now I like know for sure that he's totally cool taking and making big shots yeah uh the 47 points by itself literally does nothing in terms of his draft stock in my mind because that's that's what he is he's a volume scorer he's a guy that when he's hot he's gonna he's gonna fill it up and i think you had the jr smith comp on him like college like if you put jr smith like in at kentucky like as a freshman like J.R. Smith was gonna have a forty point game. Easily. Like like it's not just because you can go out and get forty plus like in college, uh, doesn't really mean that much at all in, in terms of what you are as a prospect. Because if you're gonna be that type of volume guy, like where the three point line is and everything like that, uh playing at that type of fast pace, uh, I still think he's an underside shooting guard who some teams are going to try to convert into a point guard. It's not good. Who uh, he's a, he's one of the three or four best athletes in this class, but that doesn't necessarily translate on defense. Uh, I think like the J.R. Smith comp to me is is fairly spot on, which is why I have him ranked tenth among these prospects. I mean, J.R. Smith, if you get J.R. Smith without any of the baggage uh, that, that he had kind of early in his career and you just get the, the talent of J.R. Smith, that's a that's a hell of a player to get at, like, number two. Right. Um, so, I mean, I think that that's, that's kind of where I see him. Yeah, I, I think the, the J.R. Smith comp does work. I think some people view that as, like, you're just pigeonholing him as a three-point shooter. Monk might be more than that. Well, he's a crazy good athlete. Yeah. J.R. Smith, J.R. Smith, Smith is a crazy, crazy good athlete, good too. Athlete, yeah. yeah, it'd be – I think if, if Malik Monk was, like, two inches taller, I think we're, he's getting more top three talk than yeah. he is. He's just – The height The height is yeah. an issue. The athleticism kind of makes up for that, I guess. A lot of his shots in that 47-point mm-hmm. game were ones that – if he's playing an NBA defense, he's not getting those shots off. Right. He's getting those shots off because he's playing college players mm-hmm. who aren't tall enough to, right. to stop him from shooting those. He, he kind of reminds me of a more athletic Gary Harris is another one I've thought of. Gary Harris is a little undersized. Mm-hmm. Um, Malik Monk maybe more so than most guys in this lottery. I think Isaac's probably in this category as well. Where he goes, I think, ultimately will determine his path. Mm-hmm. Um, like wherever Markel Fultz goes, I think the same result's going to happen. Same with Jackson, same with Lonzo Ball, Tatum. Um, Tatum. Um, Malik Monk could go to Sacramento and could be Ben McElmore pretty easily. If he goes somewhere else, I don't know exactly where that is, um, and gets coached well and used appropriately, you know, then I think we're talking about a guy who could easily be, you know, maybe what, like a Brad Beal caliber type of player. Right, yeah, like I, I think his upside is healthy Brad Beal, which seems like a, a hell of a player, but in a draft like this, 
that's not enough to that's get disappointing. you into my top five, honestly. Like yeah. If, if I'm if like the best case scenario is that I'm getting Brad Beal without the injury concerns, mm. I'm not taking you in the top five. Yeah. He just you can't quite see him being a full on like super superstar in no. the NBA just because of that height and you know if if he demonstrates the ability to be a point guard maybe but like when is that going to happen you know with De'Aaron Fox on this team that's not something he's asked to I do I think the best case given the given how easy it is to get point guards and how hard it is to get shooting guards I think he's got his most value in the NBA as a shooting guard yeah and I think you have so to too just kind of live with the shortcomings right. that come from that yeah I think he's got to show that he can do a little bit more other than just score I mean he did have a seven assist game earlier this excuse me, earlier this season, but that came against UT Martin, and, you know, it's Kentucky going against teams like that. It's not really fair to just look at the box score. So, yeah, I think if he shows he can do more on the defensive end, if he shows he can be a better rebounder, a better assist guy, which, you know, the assists are tough at the college level, and again, with De'Aaron Fox having the ball in his hands so much, you know, they don't ask Malik Monk to, to be a primary playmaker. Um, but rebounding, you know, he should be, a, I think, a slightly better rebounder, for you know having that athleticism and he's not a bad rebounder I mean, he's averaging like you know a little over two per game on a team that has some really talented and really athletic big men that that absorb a lot of rebounds um but if he can show he's a, a more well-rounded player i think he'll he could play his way as high as maybe four or five but right. that'll and be a team by team preference and once you get out of once you get out of like the Fultz, once Fultz is off the board jackson's off the board mm-hmm. uh then it really comes down to just preference, exactly. And he could go as high as four, could go as low as 10 or 11. Yeah. And nobody really should be surprised. That same could be said, like, you know, I've got Jonathan Isaac ranked fourth. If he went 10th or even 11th or 12th, like, I wouldn't be shocked just no. because some scout is going to have Laurie Markinen ahead of him. Some scout's going to have... OG Ananobi ahead of him. Uh, some scout's going to say, like, hey, like, if Harry Giles' knee checks out, we need to take him um, because his upside's just too too good to pass on. So it's just, God, this draft's going to be so great. I, I am not going to work it. I think I'm going to write the a lot of the pre-draft analysis, and then I'm going to watch it from my couch at home. Yeah, this is going to be... A, a big big time fun draft to monitor and i'm looking forward to finally we get the start of like conference play in college basketball there's like that week-long gap uh during finals where there's no games um I but had, i had my uh full season uh college hoops draft the other week that i do with a bunch of my buddies every year yeah and ended up with uh ended up with a pretty stacked squad i took did you took lonzo ball and tj leaf with my first two picks so, so you just do this for conference play or what? Yeah, because like you know, not everyone in this league's an insider. Um, oh right. So forget you know, that they, sometimes they need to have uh, numbers out there that they can kind of evaluate and and kind of put together their their rankings based on who's who's doing what. Uh, and then it's also we're in Big Ten country, so each you start seven guys every. Uh, there's three periods. You start seven guys. Two have to be Big Ten guys. Um, so that's kind of a pain in the ass. Shop local. Obviously, nice. I wouldn't wouldn't want to have any Big Ten guys on oh, on my fine. team if I could help it. Swanigan. I have Nigel Hayes and Thomas Bryant, so can't really argue. So you got that. Lonzo Ball, Nigel Hayes, Thomas Bryant, Jason Tatum, TJ Leaf, How? Dennis Smith, Shamori Ponds, St. John's. Uh, of course. <laughs> OG Ananobi. Like, you can get Kennard. This, look, this is a league with a bunch of guys that love college hoops and don't really follow – the draft aspect of college mm. hoops. So, yeah. So, like, how high? Like, did Bronson Koenig go, like, two? Um, London parentheses. Peter Jock was the number two pick in this draft. Uh, okay. Caleb Swanigan was the number one pick. Right then so. Markel Fultz, then Josh Hart, then I got Lonzo Ball, then Luke Kennard, Frank Mason, then I got TJ Leaf, then Malcolm Hill. Malcolm Hill of Illinois went in the top ten of this draft, so... Tells you all you need to know. Um, <laughs> all right, anything else we oh. want to get to? Uh, oh, the big UFC fight tomorrow. <laughs> can't, can't wait for that. I think we wanted to give ourselves like 30 seconds to bash UFC. Yeah, we're not big UFC fans here. Uh, Waylon <laughs> just needed to kind of, you know, 
get 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 some feelings out that I think he was exp- experiencing earlier in the office when yeah. UFC fights were getting played. There's a lot of UFC banter going on out there today. Really could not imagine anything worse in the morning. Like I'm not a big morning person. No, like, me I don't neither. like to really interact with people in the morning. Uh and I just want to kind of, you know, I like the lights to be dim. I like there to be not much sound. Uh to to come in in the morning and have UFC fights playing on the TV. It's has got to be it's about, as, about as rough a way to start your morning. Right. I hadn't even had my coffee yet, and then I'm watching Like, a, would you rather your car guy. get towed or, like, have to watch two hours of UFC fights in the morning? <laughs> That's tough. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It probably depends where it's, it's I think I have had, I've had my car towed one time in Madison, and it was, like, it was like 75 bucks. Like, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's a conversation that needs to be had. Uh, all right, that'll wrap it up. Three amigos. We'll be back on Friday, I think. They're going to kill the love of my life. Yeah. If I don't go back to what I was doing. This Friday. Our line of work is quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain, for love. Collide. In theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13.